Remember, as you're enjoying this fabulous podcast of the radio show, you can also get the Armstrong and Getty One More Thing podcast and Armstrong and Getty Extra Large, our long-form interviews, available via the iTunes podcast app and the iHeart app. president who is a pathological liar and it gives me no pleasure to say that but it's true we have a president who is a racist who is a sexist who is a xenophobe it'll be interesting to see how he does jeff he ran great four years ago and he was not treated with respect by clinton so there you go uh bernie's in the race you know i, I saw a bunch of reporters hit him with yesterday the whole democratic party has come over to your way of thinking and he was very, very, um, uh, you know, self-effacing about that. He just, we just throw that off. You know, he didn't want to take credit for it, which is the right. opposite of what most politicians do. Right. They want to make it very clear. I started this. I get the credit. He, he was he's funny. not that so, way at all. I don't know if I'd say that. Other people say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting. Lon He Chen joins us. Uh, Lon He is the host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. And David and Diane Steffi, research fellow at the Hoover Institution and uh, heads up their public policy uh, department. Uh, Lon He, how are you, sir? Good morning. I'm doing uh, doing well. Always fun to see more Democrats in the mix for 2020. Well, at the point that we hit like 40 or so, somebody's got to do something, right? I mean, there's a limit. <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's a free country, I suppose, right? I mean, unless you guys to be. Everybody's singing from the Bernie Sanders playbook from the most part. I mean, he set the tone. Is uh, is he the guy now or not? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think there's something very retro, obviously something very retro about Bernie Sanders. But in this campaign in particular, there's something that's retro about him. You know, what, what gave him liftoff in 2016 was being the alternative to Hillary Clinton. And I think in a race like this one in 2020, where there are a lot of people who are going to be saying and believing the same sorts of things. I just have a very difficult time seeing Bernie Sanders being the guy that they end up going with. So, you know, he's an interesting story. Obviously, he's the genesis of a lot of these ideas. He was sort of uh, the Green New Deal before it was hip to be for the Green New Deal. Uh, but, but I just don't see him being the guy who Democrats gravitate toward at the end of the day because uh, he, he doesn't present – uh, an image, I think, that a lot of Democrats like. Well, well he's, he's an old white male, for one thing. In a, right. in a world, specifically the Democratic Party, where identity politics is everything, he is a hated class. He is he is the race, and he is the uh, everything that can be hated. Um, so, yeah, that would well, be an the, ironic choice. And, and that's why he has to be self-effacing, and that's why he has to be apologetic, and that's why... You may recall there was this big dust-up a few months ago where a bunch of people from this 2016 campaign alleged that there was rampant sexual harassment on the campaign. That's going to be an issue he's going to have to address. And to your point about identity politics, it's going to make it that much harder for him, I think, to get traction in the long run. We've been throwing around the idea if somebody chooses him as a VP, you get some of the feel-the-burn crowd that uh, you know are loyal to Bernie. Uh, you don't have to deal with the age issue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You think that happens? Yeah, for instance, Kamala Bernie. As a ticket. Yeah, I mean, you could see if it's a, a younger, less experienced nominee, they might want someone who's got a little more, let's call it seasoning. Uh, like you know, Obama did with Biden. Sense. Sure, sure. W but, with you know, Cheney. I, I, yeah. 
I, I just, I just think that Bernie Sanders is. Um, it's it's difficult to see how he is involved unless he's the number one guy. I just think that he has got enough of an ego. He's got enough of a sense of himself that I'm not sure he's going to want to be the number two. But sure, I mean, it makes a lot of sense on many different levels for him to be the number two. I just don't know if he's going to want to take the job. Well, he's old as the hills, so, you know, being Veep is practically semi-retired, you know? So maybe that would appeal to him. Hey, did you watch uh, Trump's uh, press conference Friday morning? Got any thoughts on it? We aired the whole thing. Well, he, you know, he's actually one of these guys who I think has mastered the art of giving the media exactly what they want. He is he he sort of gets up there, and you know, a lot of media say that's oh, rambling, and he doesn't really have a point. But you know, they cover the whole thing, and then they talk about it. So th- this has become pretty typical of the of, of the Trump press conference. But and and the other thing I think is interesting is you can always expect him to make some kind of news. You can always expect him to come out and say something interesting. Uh, so, you know, at least the press conference is good for that. That's just, I mean, we're watching him and he's talking about maybe we should have the death penalty for drug dealers. And, I mean, just, <laughs> it's something when he's coming out to declare a national emergency on a completely different topic. I mean, that's something. Yeah. So, hey, you're a, a domestic policy guy, a, 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 a highly respected fellow. Um, you've studied this sort of thing before. Do you think he really made a mistake when he said, uh, I don't have to do this. Um, I could do it more slowly, yeah. but I want to do it faster. Arguing a national emergency and stating, I don't have to do this. Yeah, I mean, I think that courts tend to be pretty uh, loose in terms of giving presidents latitude on what is and is not an emergency. And and look, there are a lot of states of emergency that presidents declare all the time, mostly in response to natural disasters. There's a whole bunch of scholarship on this question. But on the issue of what the president says and whether his words can be used against him, of course, anything the president says can and will be used against him in the context of a litigation on this question. I just don't think the court is going to turn around and say, look, you can't declare a national emergency because you yourself said, well, I just wanted to do it more quickly. The, the question isn't about whether he could declare a national emergency in my mind. The question is whether, you know, this other law he's relying on, which basically says we're going to redirect a bunch of money for military construction. That law pretty clearly says that you can only do it if the situation requires the use of the military. The question is going to be, does this national emergency he's declared require the use of the military? And if so, if a court believes it does, then he'll be fine. If not, then I think he's going to be in trouble. But the fact that he says, look, I just wanted to do it more quickly, eh, I don't necessarily think that that, that that will matter a whole lot to the final analysis. Interesting. Uh, so, And what's frustrating, I think, to most Americans who follow this stuff is that not only could you find one court to say absolutely yes and one court to say absolutely no, you could find 50 courts that would weigh in strongly but on opposite sides of it. So the whole we're, we'll let the courts decide thing is just so unsatisfying. Yeah, because you've got the Ninth Circuit, which is the appeal, the federal appeals court that includes California, that has a reputation. Which includes California, which has similar. a reputation, then it will go to a different court, no, which will go a different direction, like and then we'll do this, and when we'll do that. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, 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 no. I mean, it, that, that, that's exactly the point. You can go down to the Fifth Circuit, which includes Texas, and that's a little more conservative. You know, you can go to uh, a different circuit and end up with a different outcome, which is why, at the end of the day, we need the Supreme Court to decide all of this. But let's not forget, the Supreme Court is a is a body that also has people that have political points of view as well. So, 
you know, the, the, the courts can only do so much at the end of the day. We can only rely on the courts to be so much. I think sometimes we tend to think of the courts as a savior, but these are, are people with political points, and view, points of view and perspectives just like everyone else. So it kind of depends on, you're right, this case will depend on where it goes and, and the route to success or failure for Trump will largely depend on what courts end up seeing the case that's presented to them by, uh, by people who want to bring the litigation. We're talking with Lonnie Chen, and he's one of the best political pundits out there, no doubt. And if you like his stuff, you should check out his podcast, Crossing Lines with Lonnie Chen, which we have linked at armstrongandgetty.com. Do you follow the near-daily explosive stories in the New York Times or the Washington Post? I mean, all the Trump-hating media is going big on this New York Times story out today, which is a lot of the same old stuff about Trump did this with Roger, obstructed justice or whatnot. Um, Trump comes out today and says the New York Times are the enemy of the people. Do you, do you follow that at all? Well, it, he, here's what it is. I mean, there, there are some very good reporters in the New York Times, I, I believe, first of all. I sure. think there are people who are who are, you know, skill at their craft, they're obviously talking to somebody. They're talking to now who that person, who these sources are, what positions they're in. Are they truly able to provide the, 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 the actual story, the real truth, as it were, about what's going on? That's, a, that's the part that we don't know. And the reporters are relying on a little bit of leap of faith, right? Because especially when they're saying, we're quoting a set of sources, but we're not going to tell you who those sources are. That makes that makes it more difficult, I think, and, and it gives the president the opportunity to say, "Look, this is all just fake news." Um, uh, so it, it's very difficult unless there's corroborating reporting, unless someone's willing to come out and put their name behind it. So that's what makes this whole thing so difficult. Is a little bit of he said, she said, and it, it is the case that the New York Times and the Washington Post would seem much more credible if everything wasn't so breathless, right? You know, everything is like, oh, Trump is, you know, Trump is this and Trump is that. And then you end up with, you know, people like Andy McCabe out there saying, well, I don't maybe maybe the Russians did, you know, ask Trump to do this. And and and, and that sort of innuendo and that sort of um, sort of lack of credible statement, that's what makes this whole thing so much harder for the for the ordinary American to understand what's going on. I don't actually know what's going on. So uh, I, I'm sure that some of what The New York Times and Washington Post is telling us is absolutely true. But I understand why there's some doubt that some have as well and why the president cast doubt on it, too. Lon He Chen is the host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. David and Diane Steffi, research fellow at the Hoover Institution, director of domestic policy studies, lecturer at Stanford. Uh, Lon He, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. You know, we're going to talk to Laura Logan at some length and then uh, have at least significant chunks of it for you on the radio show. Um. And she's talking about, uh, you know, what Lon, he was just talking about, just the way the media approaches their jobs. And it strikes me that it's just a transition from, because the old joke is, and, and I heard Chris Starwalt fumble it on Fox News the other day. And I do love a good cliche, and I hate to hear it and miss said. But if your mother tells you she loves you, get a second source, is the old joke. And the media has gone from printing what they know what they've been able to discover and are certain of, to printing what they've heard. Even the old gray lady. Is that her? Did I fumble that one? Uh, The gray old lady. The old lady who's turned gray. The New York Times. The Washington Post. They've gone from printing what we're absolutely certain of to printing what we just heard. That's a huge transition. You know, I'm interested in this stuff, but then I found myself looking at the TV and be really interested in the fact that there's a big Motley Crue biopic coming out. So... Maybe uh, maybe I'll spend more time thinking about the Motley Crue biopic.
than the latest Trump did this or that. If you own a firearm or can buy one, and you bring that firearm to to my home and level it at me and demand I go to the Motley Crue movie, I will go to the Motley Crue movie. You don't want to see how they got together? No. No. I think it's because the Queen movie did so well. Oh, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Bands are lining up. Twisted Sisters like, our story's great. (laughs) It was unbelievable. (laughs) Take a movie. Chicks, booze, everything. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. (laughs) So, um, Marshall's got some good stuff in his news in about 10 minutes. Oh, really? Stories of the day, including the government coming for your soda, among other things. But (laughs) USA Today, they have these little graphs down in the corner. I don't think anybody reads USA Today. Other than, like, radio personalities. They used to say disc jockeys and hotel guests. Somebody at a hotel. <laughs> the entire readership of the uh, USA Today. And I'm not sure even people at hotels are reading the USA Today. Not, yeah, not so much anymore. Excellent news from yesterday's My Smartphone. Um, slipped under my door this morning. Uh, <laughs> sports course from yesterday. <laughs> right. Uh, but their little graph down in the corner. And I saw a local newspaper the other day on a Wednesday they had Monday's game, Monday's sports report. Well, you can't, you can't, you can't have sports in your local paper. My 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 town's paper, it's got value to it. It's news about my town. Sure, that still has great value to it. But boy, your your bigger regional or national papers is it's tough for them. Anyway, there's a little graph down here. The longest jump by a domestic cat <laughs> happened in Big Sur, California. Big S- cat, California, seven feet. That's the current record <laughs> yeah. for longest jump by a domestic cat. You, you blew an opportunity there. You could have said five feet. You could have said 14 feet. And I just said, wow. 37 feet. Right, exactly. More than I would have thought. More than I would have thought. <laughs> you know, I'm more than willing to admit what I don't know. And cat leaping is not an area of strength for me. <laughs> ah, boy. Funny, it's funny, funny. Something. That's, oh, speaking of cats. Come on, Positive Sean. Do you have that for me? Oh, yeah. Here's a guy who... um. <laughs> His cat wakes him up every morning by meowing loudly, and he got mad about it and decided to get back at his cat by, well, here's how he dis. Well, here's what he did. We have that. <laughs> he he auto tuned his cat's meowing, and now plays it back at him. And I am told that when you play this auto-tuned cat meows in the presence of other real-life cats, yes. the cats have interesting reactions. Really? Do yeah. tell. Yeah, well, I, I just hear they, they kind of freak out or meow back, meow back. I don't have cats, despite uh, many contrary You don't have rumor. many cats. You don't have as many as you used to. <laughs> uh, so I can't actually test this out, but... Uh, right. Let me know. Make it stop. It's making me homicidal. Yeah, that's pretty rough. So a couple of uh, thoughts on younger Americans <laughs> that I found really, really interesting. What? Yeah. I just came across, I was looking through my stuff, I just came across a picture I 
texted among our group, but I was going to tell that story, so I'll have that. Ah. Did you see that picture I, oh. that I texted out to our group yesterday? I don't know. What I, I saw in front of the target? Poor man. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, a couple of things I found really interesting, just in terms of understanding young Americans and consumers and, and that sort of thing. And speaking of the USA Today, um, study by the uh, Atlantic's creative marketing group, Atlantic Rethink, Comscore, and Harvard College Consulting Group. Um, on people 18 to 24, which has big implications for media and brands as they look for their next generations of users and consumers. Key findings. Generation Z prefers old media. Millennial media is not fit for Gen Z, with respondents reporting lower favorability scores for millennial target news outlets versus established news outlets. 48%. You mean like newsreels and microfish? I mean, how, how old the media are we going here? For instance. Phonographs. In, in fact, 48%. The Germans of, are marching across Europe. All right. Just give me a, give me a signal when you're done <laughs> with your wisecrackings. In fact, about half of Gen Z prefer titles like Time and The New Yorker compared to the 20%, 50 to 20, who preferred newer ones like BuzzFeed and Cheddar. I don't know cheddar. I know the delicious, delicious cheese. cheese, right, but no. <laughs> They're less brand loyal and expect, expect brands to be more socially responsible than millennials do. Hmm. 61% are more likely to buy brands that have spokespeople who are diverse. All right. How can a single spokesperson be diverse? I don't know. You can only be you. Rather than spokespeople who look like them. Compared to 52% of millennials. In wow. other words, they're even more <laughs> That's woke. interesting. They like brick and mortar. Oh, I do, too. More to come. Okay. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? A Kentucky student hitting the WAPO with a $250 million defamation suit. And Go get them. The government is indeed coming for your big gulp and other sugary drinks. Because that's what the government's for. Just check the Constitution. <laughs> Keep you thin. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Across this on the Twitter feed, you cannot buy hot pockets. You can only buy cold pockets. You're, ex- <laughs> you're expected to supply the heat yourself. Don't yeah. believe the lies. Right. <laughs> That's really funny. That person should start a Twitter account and tweet that. <laughs> uh, news now with Marsha Phillips. Now President Trump is throwing his support behind a Kentucky high school student's defamation lawsuit against the Washington Post. The suit was filed by the family of Nick Sandman, who was at the center of a January 18th confrontation in Washington, D.C. that went viral. The suit accuses the paper of falsely painting Sandman as a racist and is asking for $250 million in damages. Trump tweeting, go get him, Nick, adding fake news in his tweet. I wish the lad well. I anticipate anticipate either a smallish settlement or... You wouldn't need much of a percentage of $230 million to have a lot of money. Or what I'd guess, knowing what I do about the family and the things they've said, what they would really like is a detailed and specific apology printed in the paper of record for Washington, D.C. Which, yeah, which would be fine. And that probably is what they want, and it's what they deserve. Although, (laughs) keeping in mind that the rush to believe the utterly ridiculous Jussie Smollett story, the day we heard it, we said, wait a minute. Story was just, it was just clearly phony. But the rush to believe that was exactly a month, almost exactly a month, 
It's talk radio. Say whatever you want, Joe. Sorry. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little crazy. No, it was uh, almost exactly a month after the Nick Sandman thing. Right. In which there was a rush to believe that and mm-hmm. a condemnation of these vicious white Trump fans and the way they surrounded and beat, well, they practically beat, this poor old Indian man who's a beautiful man and an activist and an angel. And and, and we understand these, these angry white uh, boys were also mean to some black fellows who were around. And just it was printed, reprinted. And disgusting. Right. A month later, you get the just see smaller thing. Same thing. So I'm looking at my watch uh, right around March the 5th or 6th. We ought to be treated to a brand new, another one of these that'll be every bit as indefensible. So you'll get him, Nick. The lawsuit filed by Sandman's attorney claims that the Post, quote, wrongfully targeted and bullied Nicholas because, because he was the white Catholic student wearing a red Make America Great Again souvenir cap on a school field trip to the January 18th March for Life in D.C. Uh, I don't know. Twitter is stupid, and people say stupid stuff on Twitter, although I do enjoy it uh, on one level a great deal. How about all those people, known people, blue checkmark people, who are calling for him to be punched in the face? That sort of thing. How about Kathy Griffin saying, what's his address? Who is this? People who know about him. Who? Where can we find him? Right. You know, I'm paraphrasing. How about her? I'm, I'm hoping Nick's attorneys are just, they got a list and they're going to work their way down. That's what they're planning. They're saying there are other suits Good. to follow. Good. Go get them. San Francisco Chronicle is reporting that months after the California legislature reluctantly voted to ban cities from passing new soda taxes, Democratic lawmakers are getting together to take another stab at a statewide fee and other measures to reduce consumption of sugary drinks. Because that's the role of state government or federal government to... Determine how much pop I drink every day. Well, and it's so revealing that they forbade the cities from doing this, Uh the state of Cal Unicornia. And it was was a bit confusing to me at the time why they did that. Now I know why. So the state can do it, and they can get the revenue. Can you imagine explaining the Founding Fathers how government now gets involved in how much dessert you can have after your dinner? Right. It's confusing when you say the states and then the state. I would think that's the same thing. Is it not? Did I miss And maybe I'm just misunderstanding because I'm not the right. The state of California? Yeah. And why they voted it down so then the states can do it? Or They didn't want the cities to pass right. the taxes. Oh, okay. cause I'm an idiot. I'll turn off my mic. The bill... Long overdue. The bills include, get ready, a ban on Big Gulp style sodas, warning labels, and a prohibition on displaying sugary drinks in the grocery checkout aisle. Oh, for goodness sakes. Land of the free, my ass. Every time you sing the national anthem, God bless it, and you sing the land of the free, think about it. I don't like any of it, but warning labels, okay. I'd rather that uh, you didn't have candy and pop uh, right where I check out at the grocery store, but I know why they do it. But they have candy-free aisles for people who get mad at that. That's responding to your customers. But, the, but specifically, <laughs> the idea of you're, you're limiting how big a drink I can get is just crazy for the government to get involved in that. That's just crazy. Oh, yeah. Come for the disgusting paternalism and stay for just the stupidity of it. Well, wait a minute. I can't buy a 32-ouncer, but I can buy two 20-ouncers? Right. Okay. All right, my friends. We have a standout artiste these days. Ariana Grande is dominating the Billboard Hot 100 chart and is currently holding the top three spots. This is a feat 
that hasn't been done since 1964 when the Beatles did it for five weeks. She's so the new Beatles. Aim a hit. Innovative. Ariana Grande is bigger than the Beatles. Yep. All right, I mean, fine. there's just no arguing about yep. it. Ariana Grande <laughs> and the Late Late Show with James Corden talking about how she reacted to the feat. When I woke up, I thought it was like an edit, like that my fans made. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, they're like they're like insane people that I love. But um, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a joke. Uh, so it's, it's really wild. My mom and I were driving around listening to the Beatles all day, and I'm just like, this is crazy. It, it was... I was like, I'm so sorry. This is this is so weird. Wow, she's kind of embarrassed by the whole deal, you know, because I... of the way they've changed the way they call what a yeah. number one song is. Everything's completely different. It's an apples and oranges comparison. Yeah, that was endearingly that was, sweet, though. Yeah. I, was, I was surprised. And I was ready to hate her. And she recognizes a lot of her fans are nut jobs, and she didn't want to say it. But. So for the last 36 hours, to my amazement and, and mild disgust, I, just, I don't care. The uh, All the major media have been just going crazy over Carl Lagerfeld dying. Right, and now I know what he looks like in the starched collars and his trademark white ponytail. And, and blah, who is he again? On and on and on. He was a d- designer dude. He's okay. from the world of fashion, and because all the media's they're from Manhattan, you know, they're going crazy over it. So I'm in my uh, my neighborhood barber shop the other day. I have never seen a woman getting a haircut in there, and never will. It's that kind of barber shop. Yep. It's got wood floors and and kind of gruff guys who who cut your hair and. Guys kind of sit on benches waiting for their time to go. And so anyway, it's it's that kind of place. So uh but there's a TV that's always on at this barbershop, and usually it's court shows, because I usually go there in the late morning, and it's it's the various court shows where people are suing each other over you know, the one jackass has been cheated by the other jackass, and the judge yells at him, and it's a very popular genre. So anyway, uh the judge show ends and the news comes on, and they're making a big deal of Carl Lagerfeld. And there's this one tough guy who knows the barber who's this big tough guy. Right. And and the tough guy says to the barber, Carl Lagerfeld passed. And the barber says, never heard of him. And the other tough guy, I couldn't have been more shocked, knocked me down with a feather, says, oh, very innovative. <laughs> I was like, well, I want to get you on the show and interview you. I thought I might have to fight you to get out of here. And you're a big, what was he, a Chanel fan. Oh, I mean, damn, don't judge people. There that's, you go. That's the point. That's your news. I'm you Marshall. a good, cheap haircut, too. Fabulous. I'm, I'm Marshall. And he don't talk to you unless you want to talk. Any plans this weekend? My God. You don't care. You don't care what my plan. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go down to the uh, the animal shelter and adopt fifty dogs. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna do. Ugh. I only want barbers who don't talk and smoke during their breaks. That's what I want out of a barber. Perfect. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. What what percentage of uh, and this is an interesting thing to know in our culture right now. What percentage of Americans think it's it is the government's role to decide how much pop I drink? What percentage of Americans think that? Or that they appreciate it. They think it's a good thing, you know, in in short. You think it's half? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I I guess. Because it seems completely crazy to me that they would even even discuss it, let alone do anything about it. It just shouldn't even be on their their radar how much pop I drink. Wait until we're all on socialized health care. Then it matters. And I have a legitimate cause. To tell you how to live. Yeah, because that person over there who's eating themselves into a, a morbid obesity with Perhaps their ice cream. having two and, milkshakes in an evening. I'm paying <laughs> I'm paying for it. Right. Yeah, so then it's a different thing. Right. Wow. Oh, boy, that'll be great. 
If only this whole idea had been tried several times and we could see how it turned out. Did we look at giving uh, nuke secrets to the Saudis? China's one-child policy is not working. Whoops. China! They're going to have to figure out how to have kids or they're going to go away, among other things, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The average female friendship has a lifespan of 16 years. When asked what happens after 16 years, women said, she knows what she did. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, That's a good joke. I like that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, the FDA has announced that injecting yourself with younger blood does not do any good, which is disappointing because that was my entire plan for old age, but uh, maybe they'll perfect that. Oh, come on now. Don't stomp on my dreams. Exactly. The blood of the young was my only hope. Uh, China, you might know about China. They had China. a one. China. I've heard of it. They had a brutal, inhumane one child policy for many years that they did at the point of a gun. It's mostly because of the rampant starvation communism brought. Then they realize they're running out of people and they got a real people problem. So then they've got a two child policy, but they can't get people to have kids anyway. Right now, they've got a fertility rate of 1.02, which is the lowest in the world and half, less than half, what you need to just sustain your population. Oh, yeah. So uh, they are in real trouble demographics wise. As heard on the Armstrong and Getty show now for a few years, I've been trying to tell you about that. China, soon to take over the world. No, 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 no. They, Japan, Germany, old, old Europe, old Europe's dying. Which is why, you know, like the U.S., actually the U.S. is just, we're not dying, but most of our growth is immigration and or young immigrant families who are having babies. So there's no arguing with demographics. Story out that uh, Trump administration was uh, looking at giving plans for the nuclear weapons to Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. I want to follow up on that and uh, spend more time on that, see if that turns out to be true or not. And not holding them to the safeguards to protect Against proliferation. Well, and, the, and allegedly, even without that, do you want this new guy MBS to have uh, to have the nuke? Does that uh, seem like a good idea? He seems a little crazy to me. I don't even want him to have a stick. He seems nuts to me. Yeah, seems kind of nuts. There's that. And yesterday, I'm walking into my local Target, and there's an old guy who appears to be a street person, right outside the front door, cutting his own hair with a pair of scissors. It's not a pavement. He's just standing on the sidewalk. So you got a mirror? No. He's just, he was, which is not an easy thing to do, cut your hair with, with scissors. He was just standing no. there. He's kind of bent over, big puddle of hair around his feet. Mm-hmm. Hey, and, uh, beautiful hair. True it's a witness hair. account. When I went in, I thought, that's uh, that's odd. And yeah. then when I came out, 10 minutes later, he was still cutting his hair. Mm. And I uh, discreetly snapped a photo, which I don't know if that's cool or not. Mm. Just thought I'd like to have that, perhaps. It's journalism. Um, But uh, I don't know. That's. Uh, that's an odd place to cut your hair, even if you're going to cut your hair yourself. That's kind of a crazy thing to do from a street person, which you don't know, always know their uh, their state of mind, and he's got a sharp object in his hand right where you walk in the front door of the Target. Where tons and tons of people are walking back and With forth, I imagine. Kids. You're right. I don't know. 
Do yeah. you think that's all right or not? I don't know. If I'm the target, I don't want that. No, no. Get this private property. Go. Yeah. But they, you know, stores don't want the controversy. I guess. Rather put their customers at risk than their, uh, you know, I should have gone to customer service. I should have gone to customer service. Said, look, I don't want a guy who appears to have some mental problems with a pair of scissors standing in fr- outside the front door. I'm not going to come here with my kids if you're going to allow that. That's perfectly legitimate gripe. Seems like it. My son worked customer service at Target for a time. What would he'd he have, have done? been the guy you'd have... Uh... What would he have done? I should I, I should get him on the phone. <sighs> if I come in and say this, what would you do? I you don't would, think you, he's working right now. He's he'd, probably sleeping. He'd, he'd probably say, I, uh, I would, I would uh, appear to be very concerned about your needs mm-hmm. and say I would do something about it and we'd yes. free to leave. Well, that's as, what I would do if I were him. As you know, my son Declan is a, a fine, uh, fine fellow and a, a young man of good conscience and and, and reasonable intelligence. And <laughs> he would laugh so hard at that description. Um, <laughs> and I think he would think, "Oh boy, I know what to do if somebody is trying to return an empty gallon of milk." <laughs> Here's a guy doesn't want a bum cutting his own hair at the front door. Oh, boy. In a city where there are no policies to deal with this whatsoever by law enforcement. Right, exactly, where everybody's terrified to do anything. Yeah, I think he would probably get the, the head manager and say, above my pay grade, thank God you deal with this one. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Huh. Well. So, uh, speaking of uh, Target and brick and mortars, uh, back to the, the research project on Millennials in the next generation, which people are calling Generation Z, even though generations don't really fall into neat categories. I'm into Generation Double A, like where the rows start over again. <laughs> These, to get really good seats. This generation's still in the womb. No, no, no. Generation BB, which is just a twinkle in two people's eyes who right. haven't even met yet. They'll have that's, completely different habits. That's the generation I'm into. Yeah, yeah. So they're less brand loyal. Uh, we mentioned they like brick and mortars. Forty-one percent said a physical store encourages them to buy new brands. They look to, like to look at stuff and, and feel it versus an e-commerce site. I think the not as brand loyal thing is interesting because forever a lot of your brands have believed that you got to hook them really young as either a Coke or Pepsi person, mm-hmm. and then you're that for the rest of your life. Well, which has always been the case for the most part, to a large extent, yeah. Which is crazy, by the way, because they're the same thing. But but <laughs> you choose one and then you stick with it. Coors Light, for instance. Why was that my drink? Instead of Bud Light. No real good reason. But could it be just that they're less brand loyal because they're younger? Which is reinforcing what you just said. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Um, or maybe uh, they've figured out that there's really no difference between these things. Choosing a brand is dumb. Based is, on an image from a commercial. Amongst my group of friends, uh, I don't think there's a single person who has a brand that they just stick with. I mean, they'll go through phases where, no, these three months I'm drinking pale ales or whatever, right? Like... But it's not some sort of lifetime commitment. Of course, you're Bernie Sanders compared to Generation Z. <laughs> so, <true>. um, <laughs> They asked him about 60 brands. Only two got more love from Gen Z than millennials. Keep this in mind in your investing decisions. Sean, the positive Sean portfolio. How's that doing, by the way? Uh, uh, it's, it's doing well. Doing okay, well. It's, it's climbing back to the good parts. There you go. Um, YouTube and Apple are the two brands that uh, the young, young people like even more than the somewhat young people. And here you go. They're less concerned about privacy than millennials. Only 42% say they try to share as little as possible compared to 54%. The very concept of privacy is just going away. Right. And uh, having had this discussion with my adult niece, 
neither one of us can understand what the other one is talking about, really. She has, I don't even know what you mean. And, I, and I'm on the side of, how do you not care about this? I mean, those are the, those, that's how far away we are. And then uh, finally, on a similar topic, uh, one of the dudes from Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary, he's the uh, bald-headed, somewhat severe-looking fellow. He did a piece for, uh, what is this, uh, CNBC, the business channel, on uh, things millennials waste money on. And he's talking about how they talking about how broke they are and they can't afford their housing and blah, blah, blah. Well, stop squandering your money, you numbskulls, says the business mogul. Number one, $4 coffee. $4 coffee, incredibly stupid. Look, I know I'm going to get hate mail from all the coffee brands, but coffee costs 18 cents to make yourself. Until you have savings and have paid off your college debt, do not buy a $4 coffee. I forbid you. When I was young, I would have never purchased a cup of coffee somewhere. No No way. Ridiculous. And, of course, if you're going to get anything the least bit fancy, it's going to be five, six, seven, eight bucks. Um, Then he says, shoes. On both sides of the equation... Shoes. You don't need more than four pair of shoes. You need flip-flops. You need one shoe. You hop around. <laughs> and when you wear that one out, you hop around on the other foot. There's, there's four years of hopping. One pair of shoes. <laughs> Gives you excellent balance as well. <laughs> you need flip-flops, something to work out in, and two pairs of dress shoes. Everything else, you're an idiot if you're buying more shoes. Because you'll never wear them. They'll be sitting there for years. In this area, and this shocked me, women appear to be the worst offenders. No way. 75% of women in the U.S., three quarters, own more than 20 pair of shoes. Wow, 20 pairs of shoes is a lot of shoes. And the final thing, millennials waste their money on jeans. No one should own more than three pair of jeans. One black, one white, one jean original. If you own more than that, you're an idiot. You have too many. You don't need that. You need one pair of white jeans? If you're a woman. How many people have white jeans? Women. Okay. They look good. Mm. 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 You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.